I really believe that if Habakkuk was alive today, that that's the kind of song that he would sing. Uh, that, and if you weren't here with us last week, we began a study of the book of Habakkuk, which uh, for us is, is kind of like going to be a, a observing a wrestling match. Uh, yeah, Tim, could you hook me up with that? Fantastic. Good. Uh, that's not a part of the wrestling match. Uh, <laughs> but uh, thank you. Perfect. Uh, uh, if you remember, uh, uh, Habakkuk's name means to wrestle with. And uh, last week we saw Habakkuk chapter one, where this uh, musician prophet, I don't know if he sang songs that beautiful, but he at least wrote poetry. He wrote music. And he was, Habakkuk was wrestling with God. Uh, last week we saw that he was wrestling with God because what he believed in his heart about God wasn't matching up with what he was observing in the world around him. And, and, and God's supposed people that Habakkuk was, was speaking to and, and observing, they, they were corrupt, they were wicked, they were violent, they were unjust. These were God's people. And Habakkuk was, was crying out to God, God, where are you in all of this? Why do you just stand by? Why don't you do anything? Do you even care, God? This isn't fair. And, and this little book of Habakkuk, which is only three chapters long, is uh, kind of a, a recording of this, this vision, this prayer, this time with God that Habakkuk was having, this wrestling match. Uh, so I'm really glad that you're here today. Um, uh, thank you for being here, especially those of you who are newer or, or visiting today. We're, we're so glad that you're here. Um, my name's Andy. I'm a privileged to be the senior pastor here at Troy United Methodist Church. And, and, and I want to take a look at this, this diagram again. This is a diagram that we uh, uh, began last week. Um, and this is, if you remember, this is a diagram that's kind of a snapshot of uh, at least a, a part of a, a typical faith journey. Uh, that, that uh, one would experience. If you remember, uh, here at the beginning of the faith journey, this is, this is kind of when you're, you're far from God. You, you haven't uh, really been close to God. You haven't experienced God's goodness in your life, and yet God is, is wooing you, drawing you closer to himself through uh, any number of different things. But you eventually uh, begin to uh, see God at work in your life, and maybe you come to a point, you come to a point of surrendering your, your heart to Christ, uh, you receive his forgiveness and his grace in your life, and you feel like you are on cloud nine. Nothing could, could ever get between you and God. Your prayers are being answered. You, you're experiencing the joy of a relationship with Christ, and you're, you're at this spiritual high. And, and maybe, maybe this lasts for days, weeks, months. It could last for years. Um, and, and yet most people experience coming off of that high that spiritual high, and experience doubts and questions. Maybe there are difficult circumstances happening in your life, like Habakkuk, you're seeing injustice around you, and you're wondering, God, where are you in this? Or maybe a loved one dies, and you are questioning, oh, God, where are you in the midst of my grief and my pain? Whatever it is, uh, a lot of people get to this, this critical juncture where uh, they're really struggling and wrestling with God like Habakkuk is. A and when you're in this critical juncture, remember you, you have a few different options. These are typical routes that people take in that. Some uh, live kind of in, in spiritual denial. 
and sweep those difficult questions and those doubts under the rug and say, I'm not dealing with that. I'm just going to put a smile on my face and pretend like everything is okay because that's what I'm supposed to do. And so uh, they kind of go back to that spiritual high feeling, even though it's, it's uh, really kind of a false reality for them. Uh, it's a place of denial. Uh, others get really upset with God. And they say, God, enough is enough. If this is the way life is going to be, then I don't want anything to do with you. And they return to living their life as if God doesn't exist before they had uh, surrendered their life to Christ and, and really lived uh, with joy and contentment in a relationship with him. And so uh, this maybe, uh, maybe they don't uh, uh, abandon God outwardly, but it's at least something that is a condition of the heart. They just kind of turn it off inside. Some, some of us have been there. Um, or we saw uh, last week this third option. You can take the hard road uh, and trust God even when life doesn't make sense. Uh, this is, is pretty remarkable. Those of you who have kids in children's ministry, uh, the elementary age, that's the theme today. Trusting God even when things and life don't make sense. Uh, and last week I described uh, this, this route as doing the Habakkuk which if you remember Habakkuk's name doesn't just mean to wrestle with God, it also means to embrace God or just to embrace. And, and so when you choose to trust God, you remain obedient to his call in your life and embrace him no matter what, what happens. You hold on, you cling to God in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the doubt, in the midst of the struggles. And, and, and you know what? Uh, oftentimes things get harder before they get better, when you make that choice. Uh, and we, I mean, I, I think we all kind of know this inherently. I mean, think about it. If, if every time we chose to trust God and things just automatically got better in our lives, circumstances changed, everything was rosy, who wouldn't be trusting God? And everybody would make that choice. It would be, it, it would be an, an easy decision for us, but that's not what faith is about. Uh, we, we know that things oftentimes get harder before they get better. Trusting God is the hard road. It's the hard road because oftentimes it requires sacrifice. Oftentimes it, it requires enduring pain and hardship for a time before things get better. And the truth, this uh, truth, this reality has uh, led me to, to kind of live by a particular axiom. I didn't read this anywhere. Uh, uh, you know, I, I just kind of made it up based on, on what my experience was life, of life was. And, and I repeat this to myself regularly, that oftentimes the hard road is the right road to take. Oftentimes the hardest path is the right path to take. Trusting God is oftentimes the hard road to take. But as you can see from, from this diagram, which I hope we'll see by the end of this series is true, uh, eventually uh, trusting God will yield fruit, will yield um, an, an experience of God taking you to spiritual heights. This is where the peace that surpasses all understanding is found. This is where the joy and the contentment, regardless of your circumstances, is found. Uh, this is... This is where deep faith and trust that, that can't, come by <clears throat> can't come by taking any of the easier, more convenient routes is found. But back to Habakkuk. Uh, remember last week he was crying out to God and he was at this uh, critical juncture. And, and God answered his plea for help and, and 
you know, shared with him <clears throat> what he was going to do, but it was not the answer that uh, Habakkuk was really looking for, if you remember. Uh, remember what God told him. He said, yes, Habakkuk, I see all the injustice that you see too. I see the corruption. I see the evil. And here's what I'm going to do about it. <clears throat> I'm going to, excuse me, <clears throat> I'm going to send the Babylonians. I'm, I'm going to send a, uh, this, this godless, evil people to be my instrument of justice on, on my people, Habakkuk. And Habakkuk was like, what? That, that doesn't seem fair. They're even worse than, than we are. Uh, re remember uh, that things often get worse before they get better. Uh, and, and so today we're going to answer the difficult question, what do you do? What do you do when you're in the dip? What do you do when you're, you're at this crisis of faith and you've trusted God and things just seem to get worse and worse and worse? And you go further down into this dip. What do you do? Well, we can learn uh, a lot from the beginning of Habakkuk chapter 2. In, uh, in chapter 1, we saw Habakkuk, he cried out to God. God replied with the bad news. And Habakkuk responded with tremendous faith in God. And yet, we saw last week that, that Habakkuk was still wrestling. He was still questioning God in the midst of his faith. Uh, well, chapter 2 is the end of Habakkuk's statement to God and the beginning of God's response. So let's, let's look again at these uh, first three verses together. Habakkuk says, I will climb to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Let's break this down a little bit. I, I, I really believe that we can learn a lot about what to do in a crisis of faith, what to do when you're in this dip from these three verses. And I encourage you, uh, definitely follow along in your message notes. Uh, there are some blanks there. You'll want to fill those in so you can reflect on this, meditate on this later. But first, uh, verse one, uh, let's, let's read this verse al aloud together, can we? This is H Habakkuk speaking. Ready? I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There, I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. What does Habakkuk do in his crisis of faith? He stops and listens for God's voice. And we need to do the same. And how, how often do we find ourselves just voicing our complaints to God? We'll, we'll voice our complaints to God and then, and then uh, just, you know, go on with our lives. We rarely, rarely as a people do we stop to listen. We rarely climb to our watchtower and keep an eye out for God. 
what God might be doing in our lives through these difficult circumstances that we're going through. Instead, it is so easy just to close our ears and our eyes, uh, kind of numb ourselves to everything that's going on around us, just kind of get tunnel vision and just, just, just plow on through life when things are difficult. But friends, God not only wants to hear from us, we talked about that last week, that God wants to hear our struggles. God not only wants to hear from us, God wants to speak to us in the midst of those struggles. Uh, our God, the, the, the God of the Bible, of, of the scriptures, is a relational God. He, he's not just about rules and regulations and, and uh, requirements and rituals. No, no, God wants our heart. Um, and when someone has your heart, they, they also have your ear. Uh, we need to stop and listen for God's voice in the midst of our struggles. Uh, but and that's easy to say, but what does that look like practically? Um, here, how can we hear God's voice? So, so much could be said here. This could be an entire message, maybe an ent entire message series. How do you hear God's voice? Uh, I'm just going to rattle off of a few things uh, uh, relatively quickly, but I, and then I want to focus a little bit on one of them. Uh, you know, to hear God's voice, we, we, must, we must create space in our crazy lives. That's why you hear a lot of people talk about a quiet time with God. We need to create space to hear God's voice speak to us. Uh, that that uh, a necessity is, you know, getting away, carving out time and space, uh, finding a quiet place, slowing down your pace of life. Um, uh, we can hear God's voice through prayer, uh, through meditation. Uh, we can hear God's voice through uh, wise counselors um, in our lives, that, that we seek out wise spiritual counselors. We, we can even hear God's voice through, uh, through his creation. Um, in fact, that's, for me, that's a perfect opportunity to get away to a slower, quiet place is in creation. But I found that the best way to consistently hear God's voice is through his word, is through the, the Bible. I mean, almost everything God will ever want to say to you, he's already said. If you want to know what God wants from you, then, then you've got to know God's word. Now, what, what are the implications for us then? Well, we got to study God's word. Individually, uh, we need to study God's word together when we come together and, and worship. We need to study God's word and in community and in uh, in journey groups. Uh, become a lifelong student of God's word. If you're a parent, this has implications for you. Teach God's word to your kids. If, if you wonder how to, how to learn God's word best, somebody told me just the other day, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm put in a position to teach God's word, I learn an awful lot more from it. Uh, so, so step up to the plate. Get in a position where you are teaching God's word to others. You will go deeper and deeper in your relationship and understanding of God's word. Make it a regular part of your life. Don't, don't ever stop. Uh, that is the primary way that God speaks to us is through his word. Um, so stop and listen for God's voice in your life if you're at, if you're at this juncture. Um, 
But th that's not it. Uh, let, let's pick up in verse 2 uh, for some more direction. This, this time uh, directly from God. Uh, then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. You know, when you're in a crisis of faith, uh, you should write down what God says. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this one, but I do want to say just a couple of things. Uh, for, first off, God is the one telling Habakkuk to write this down, uh, what, what he's about to say so that, uh, so that he gets the message straight. I, I, I think the, the rationale here is multi-layered. Uh, from one angle, Habakkuk needs to write this down so that others can hear the message that God is speaking to. Uh, I, we're hearing it now because Habakkuk obeyed, because Habakkuk wrote this down. Now, now some of you need to, need to hear what I'm about to say more than anything else uh, that I will say today, um, especially if you're going through a difficult time and you're wondering where is God in the midst of this. What God says in your crisis, your critical juncture, your, your crisis of faith, what God says in the midst of that may not be just for you. What God is doing in your heart, in your life, through your trials, the trials that you're enduring, is not always just about you. Yes, God wants to grow you, to mold you and shape you uh, through whatever it is that you're going through. The, yes, God wants to do that. But God is also seeing a big picture that goes beyond you. It's not just about you. I know that's hard to swallow sometimes, um, but I, I think we can learn that clearly from this text. The struggles that Habakkuk is having is not just about him. It's about so much more. Um, but from another angle, I think God is telling Habakkuk to write this down so that he, Habakkuk himself, doesn't forget. Uh, you know, our tendency in a time of crisis is uh, maybe to turn to God, uh, get some strength and comfort from God, uh, maybe a word of conviction to our hearts, and then a week later just forget all about it. <laughs> like maybe things got better, and we think, oh, you know, just things just got better. And we f forget that, that we cried out to God, and maybe, maybe God, you know, helped make it better. <laughs> uh, maybe things remain challenging, but we lose the conviction that, that we had when we first cried out to God. And uh, you know, we convince ourselves that maybe, maybe God really isn't listening to the cry of our hearts. And it's important to write these things down so that we don't forget what God is doing in the big things and the small things. Um, and, and, and I don't always mean just write it down, um, although that's a great practice to have, a great spiritual discipline of writing out your prayers, uh, maybe keeping a, a prayer journal of some sort. Uh, but but, it, you know, writing it down could also mean like cementing it by telling someone else about it. A trusted friend who you know will, will speak it back into your life and help you remember when uh, you've forgotten. Someone who will remind you. God, God says, write it down. But God says more, too. Verse 3. 
This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. We should stop and listen for God's voice. Write it down. And then he says to wait patiently. I know that's exactly what you didn't want to hear today. <laughs> uh, there, there's a reason wait is a four letter word. Uh, can I get an amen? Um, you know, uh, I mean, seriously, is there anyone here who likes to wait? Who here uh, goes to the grocery store, not in Troy, but some other grocery store, uh, and, and you, you find the longest line to check out in and stand in it? Who does that? I mean, uh, y uh, yesterday, uh, the student ministry, we took a trip to Holiday World, and I observed uh, an awful lot of people, and they didn't get really excited to hurry up and stand in the longest line. Uh, to wait for a ride. No, nobody wants to wait. Uh, uh, or, or, or this, you know, um, uh, we have these, uh, who has the, the neat apps for, for traffic where they tell you how busy traffic is? How many of you look at that, you see the red line, and you make right for that one? Uh, nobody wants to wait in, 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 you know, hurry, wait in busy traffic. But uh, we want what we want and we want it now, but God says, what I've got in store for you is for a future time and it's going to happen. Now, uh, can we go back to that scripture passage? Uh, uh, verse three, if you can put verse three up there. Uh, it will surely happen. It will be fulfilled. And now read this last part with me. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently. For it will surely take place. It read this one loud. It will not be delayed. If it's slow in coming, wait patiently. It will not be delayed. In other words, it will happen in God's perfect timing. You know, if you think about some of the great stories in Scripture of people who God used mightily, they all had to wait. They had to wait for God's promises. That's how their faith was displayed. God called Abraham. He told him he'd be a father of, of a great nation, that his descendants would number the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. But he had to wait for years and years and years before the child of promise was born. God, God told Joseph that he would be uh, a, a ruler that he'd even rule over his older brothers, but he had to wait. Not only did he have to wait, he had to wait through uh, being um, you know, kidnapped, enslaved, and imprisoned before he sat on the throne of Egypt. God called Moses to lead his people into the promised land, and Moses, Moses tried real hard, but, but the people didn't want to go there, and they, he had to wait 40 years in the wilderness, and then he didn't even get to see the promised land, and he experienced the promised land in a different way. You know, Jesus appeared to the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus and told him to tell people about him. But Paul didn't, didn't really get going for another, uh, you know, uh, some scholars have, have kind of pieced the timeline together, maybe another 14 years. 14 years of waiting. Friends, there are countless other stories with the exact same theme, the theme of waiting. 
And, and that, that leads to the, the final verse that I want to touch on this morning. It's probably the most quoted and recognized verse from this tiny book of Habakkuk. And in fact, the Apostle Paul uh, quoted this verse three different times in the New Testament. And to me, it's the summary verse for what to do in a crisis of faith. And it's printed in your message notes for you so that you, you've got it uh, right there to take with you. It's, it's the second part of, of uh, chapter 2, verse 4. It simply says this, The righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. All right, let's sink this in. Let's write it down in our hearts. Let's say this aloud. The righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. When your outward circumstances are a mess, when, when you're struggling with doubts and challenges and, and you're in a crisis of faith like this and in a dip, you, you have to live by faith. And what does that look like? Well, well, faithful living looks like living obediently to God even when it's a struggle, even when it's hard, even though uh, some of these other paths might be easier, uh, easier to take. Wh what does that mean? Well, it means when you're struggling with God over finding the right person in your life so that you're not alone anymore. It, it means living by faith means that, that you don't compromise sexually or relationally to alleviate your loneliness. And maybe you're struggling financially <clears throat> and you are, you are tempted you're tempted to, to stop giving to the work of God in this world. But living by faith means even though you don't know how it's going to work out, you still trust God and follow through on his call to give of your first fruits to him. The Bible describes that as the, the first 10%, the tithe, believing that God is your ultimate provider. You know, when your marriage is falling apart and everyone, you know, from the outside, people see it, well, you know, gosh, you really ought to, Think about getting a divorce. And you say, no, I remember the vows that I made. And by faith, I believe that all things are possible with God. You know, when you feel super busy with life, um, or, or maybe uh, you're aging and you feel like your time has passed, you don't have the energy left to offer and to give of yourself, you, you, you think maybe it's time to retire from using your gifts to serve God and build the church. Living by faith means that you prioritize that above all else. You trust God to live by his ways in the good times and the bad when you've got a lot of energy to give and when you don't have any to give at all. When you're in a crisis of faith, when you're in the, the, the dip here, you have to choose to live by faith even when it's hard. Continually listening for God's voice, remembering what he said and done in the past and waiting patiently for the fulfillment of his promises. That, that, is, that is some of what we can learn from Habakkuk chapter two. And next week, we're going to get into chapter three and, and I hope that the rest of the diagram fills out here uh, for us. I know Habakkuk is waiting for that too. Uh, but, uh, and you won't wanna miss that. Uh, but I, I did want to highlight today is United Methodist Women's Sunday. Uh, every year, uh, usually on a Sunday in September, we, we just pause to acknowledge the work of, of United Methodist women, how they contribute to 
uh, the local church, but also to ministry beyond the local church in the world around us, really benefiting uh, primarily children and, and women um, who are uh, oftentimes oppressed, disadvantages, uh, disadvantaged, and, and struggling in the world around us, whether that's locally, uh, regionally, or, or globally. And, and so today we have um, uh, Lisa Graves, who is going to uh, share a little bit with us. And uh, Lisa is a member of this church. She is an active member of United Methodist Women. And she also, her vocation um, is uh, working with Leslie Bates Davis Neighborhood House in East St. Louis. And, and she's going to share a little bit uh, about how remaining faithful in the difficult times really hits home through that ministry that she's a part of. So uh, would you uh, welcome Lisa this morning? Hello. <laughs> okay, number two of four. <laughs> Good morning. I am so happy to be here this morning with you to celebrate United Methodist Women's Sunday. As you heard, I work at Leslie Bates Davis Neighborhood House, which is one of over 60 community centers supported by the United Methodist Women in the United States. The United Methodist Women support women, children, and youth throughout the world, not just in East St. Louis, but also in Champaign, in Kentucky, in Africa, and the Philippines. The United Methodist Women support a wide range of ministries throughout the world, reaching out in love to those who are vulnerable. As the United Methodist Community Center, Neighborhood House provides a wide range of services to the East St. Louis community. We provide child care services to young children, we provide recreation, education, cultural arts, and conflict resolution to children and youth. We provide meals, transportation, and homemaking services to seniors. We help youth and adults find meaningful work. We help with utility bills in the heat of the summer and the cold of the winter. With the support of the United Methodist Women, we are the hands and feet of Jesus reaching out into the world to those in need. When Pastor Andy asked me if I could make my speech today, tied to the sermon series, I said, of course, not really being familiar with the text. However, when I heard the first sermon last Sunday at dinner church, I knew I could definitely and absolutely make the text of Habakkuk relate to, the, to working at Neighborhood House. East St. Louis is a lot like the places that we've heard described by Pastor Andy. It is a place of violence, people living in poverty, high unemployment, low graduation rates, and crime. As you hear it described in the news, it's a terrible place. Why would God allow such a place to exist? And what do we as Christians do with that knowledge? Well, we create places like Neighborhood House, which is a beacon of light in the darkness. Each day, the staff of Neighborhood House reach out to the surrounding community to offer hope and understanding, someone to listen to them, someone to help them through their struggles. Working at Neighborhood House, our staff work with clients that are facing many difficulties. Recently, the staff of our Providing a Sure Start program worked with a parent who was going through a life-changing crisis. The past program works with parents and their young children, hoping to assure a sure start for these infants who are enrolled in the program. The program makes sure that children are meeting their developmental milestones and they're up-to-date up on shots and that they teaches parenting to new moms and dads. The staff had been working with Mrs. H for a while. 
the mother of a seven-year-old was pregnant with her second child, and she was so excited. She talked to the staff in the program and also the other program participants as she eagerly awaited the birth of her son. The time finally came, and she gave birth to her son Charles in May. She wanted to do all that she could do for her newborn. She attended an infant massage class where parents soothe and comfort their children through massage. After her maternity leave, she returned to her job as a security guard. In August, she came home from work around 1 a.m. She picked up her children from her mother's house, put away the groceries, and then went to bed. In the middle of the night, she awoke to baby Charles, crying. She put him back to bed, and as, but he continued to cry, so she put him to sleep with her because she was so tired. When she awoke at 8 a.m., Charles was cold. She called 911, and she could and she did all she could for the child, but he was already resting in the arms of Jesus. Mrs. H made a call to her mother and then to her caseworker for Neighborhood House. Now this is some serious darkness, but for this family and for those around her. However, because she was part of the PASS program, she had an extended family to wrap their arms of love around her to help her through this crisis. The loss of a child is devastating, but going through this tragedy would be even more difficult alone. Our staff were there every step of the way with this mother through her grief, lending a hand, a listening ear, and a hug when needed. And because Neighborhood House was there, you were there too. We are partners in mission in East St. Louis, bringing a beacon of light for those who are suffering. Like some of you, I have days when it's hard to get up in the morning and go to church, to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> Our families face many obstacles. It's hard to not take them with you when you leave. The agency itself has faced many challenges over the years, years when reimbursements from the state were slow in coming and we had to close programs and lay off staff, times when the neighborhood around us was changing and we were broken into regularly. It's times like these in the darkness when we have to be quiet and listen for the voice of God and let him lead us to where we need to go next. Listen to him give us hope so that we can share the love and hope with others that we serve. One of my favorite Bible verses is from Corinthians about love, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. I urge you to hear these words and hold on tight to them as you're facing the darkness in your own life. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. These are the three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Thank you so much for sharing your love with the Ministry of Neighborhood House. Yeah. Uh, we'll do this at 1045 too, so don't uh, run away then either. <laughs> Uh, let's, let's all stand together. I, I, for our closing prayer and benediction, I, I, I just want to acknowledge uh, that there are situations in, in some of our lives where we feel we're in, in the dip or, or close to it right now. Uh, I, I, I know and I think you can imagine for ministries like Lisa is a part of the neighborhood house and, and others that are uh, trying to minister to people in the dip. Uh, that it, it can feel pretty hopeless at times too. So um, in, in our closing prayer, we just want to pray for you, Lisa, and for the ministry of the Neighborhood House 
and also uh, just acknowledge and, and pray for God to work in each of our situations when we're in a seemingly hopeless position. So let's, let's pray together. Well, Heavenly Father, you um, have invited us and called us to trust you, to follow you faithfully and obediently, even when things don't make sense to us. And that is something that we cannot do on our own strength. We need your spirit at work in us. We need people around us to encourage us. We need your church. We need each other. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would, by the power of your spirit and the encouragement of others, help us to stop and hear your voice and see what you're trying to, to do that goes way, way beyond us. That we would not forget it, that we would write it down in our hearts and that we would have the strength and endurance to wait patiently. God, I pray that for the many situations that are represented in this room and the lives of people that we know and love. And we pray it for the neighborhood house and for all that are uh, ministered to out of, out of this uh, wonderful ministry. God, we pray that in the waiting, we would find you. And that in finding you, that regardless of how the circumstances turn out that we can experience a peace that surpasses all understanding, joy and contentment, regardless of the circumstances, and a real relationship with you that cannot be defined in any other way than a miracle of God. Lord, would you do that, we pray, in our day as you did in Habakkuk's day. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. I hope you have a, a wonderful week. We're in the dip. Next week, we're coming out of the dip. Uh, so uh, you don't want to miss that, Habakkuk chapter three. Uh, why don't you uh, shake hands with somebody uh, before you take off today?